Who likes to kind of cook a little bit, um, make, you know, things? that's good. And who's like, like me that's not a cook but just likes to use a frying pan? Okay, that, that's kind of me. Uh, I'm, <laughs> that, that's what I can do. Um, and so one of the things I love to do, if you ask my kids and my wife, is that I, I like to make like omelets with tons of stuff in it. That's the easiest thing to do, right? That's like a cop-out kind of way of really even using an oven. But, well, maybe not, but, you know, whatever. But, so here's the thing. When, I, when I'm all, you know, game for that, and I'm, I'm thinking of this, I open the fridge, and I kind of see, well, what am I going to throw in this omelet? And so often there's, like, good stuff in the fridge, and I'm pulling that and making it and chopping and all this stuff. But do you ever, you ever come to the point where you open the fridge, you're like, oh, there's no onions, or, ah, we're out of mushrooms, or there's no more peppers, and then it's like, I got no cheese. And then all of a sudden it's like, the fridge is empty. The fridge is dry. I've got nothing. This is bad news for an Italian especially, but it's bad news for anybody. I, it, here's the thing. Outside of egg, like if you have nothing for your eggs, your eggs is sunny side up or scrambled. It's not an omelet anymore, right? It's not like, and so, so I can't create an omelet out of nothing. I need something in the fridge to be able to work from, to get me started, to give me some core ingredients. You understand what I'm saying? Now, that happens when we're cooking or when we're trying to pull some stuff out of the fridge. But how many of us actually live lives like that at times? When you think about our life, we have, a, we have dreams or longings, desires for spiritual growth, for healthy relationships, maybe important steps, or the last couple of months we've been talking about developing a deeper prayer life and modeling after the prayer life of Jesus, and the fridge is empty. There's nothing to work with. You want to do this, you want to grow in this way, you want to pray in this way, but the fridge is empty. It's dry. There's nothing there's, I guess it's a theological term, but it's the word ex nihilo, which means created out of nothing. God can do this. God can create out of nothing. He doesn't need anything to create. He doesn't need anything in that way. He's creator. And regardless of, 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 of how we paint a picture, understand the creation story, this, this term ex nihilo means you can create out of nothing. But there's another term that is, is different. It's ex materia. And ex materia means create out of Something, not nothing, but something. And that's most of us. We need something to work with. We, we can't just create out of nothing. And many of us, I think, struggle to, to live out of a deeper source because often there's not a deeper source to pull from. Like the fridge is empty. And New Year's is a typical kind of time for this. In January, start of the year, we want to try some things new. We want to list some goals. We want to brainstorm some, some resolutions. Well, what if we actually had a deeper source to pull from? where we, we weren't trying to create these next steps or follow God or grow in prayer or move towards uh, the life he's called us to, to live out of nothing, but actually out of something. If there was a deeper source. And so over the next few weeks, we're in a series and we're calling it The Well. Because if you've ever seen a well or not, there's one like an ancient one that we'll put on the screen, an older one. And a well is, I mean, pretty simple, right? Like you, you know that there's no water in sight, but something tells you that if I dig deep enough, I'll find water because under the earth, there's water. And so you dig deep enough, you dig deep enough, boom, you hit some water because beneath the surface, there's life. 
And if you don't dig deep enough, you'll never find that source. You'll never find what's there for you to live. It's not ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's actually ex materia. It's out of something. There's something underneath there. And so the, for the next few weeks, what I want us to do is there is something deeper that we can live our lives out of. There's something deeper that we can reach for to grow in prayer. There's something deeper that we can move forward in or dream out of or pursue the longings that God has placed in our heart. In fact, in fact, one of the inspirations for this idea of the well and going deeper was actually the last couple of months we've been working through the ideas of prayer because I thought, how many of us are going to start this new year, be inspired to pray, and some of us feel like, well, what am, what, the fridge is empty. <laughs> what am I going to pray? What am I going to say? I know we walk through the Lord's Prayer. What, what am I grabbing from? And so we're going to do that for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to hit a few of these deeper wells. And um, today we're going to touch upon one, and I'll get to it in a moment, but I want to get to it through a story in the Scriptures. It's, it's the story of Elijah. It's chap- is, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. And um, we're actually going to read um, the whole story, but I want to just give you um, kind of where we're jumping into. Elijah's a prophet of Israel. God uses Elijah to point Israel to God in various ways or back to God when they detour off. And while Elijah's a prophet during this time, the king is called Ahab. And Ahab's wife, Jezebel, worships another god, the Baal. And Ahab, uh, the good husband that he is, figures, my wife worships Baal. Maybe I'll build a temple to Baal. Not a good time to do what your wife wants. Like, or your spouse. So it wasn't the best time to be the good husband and prioritize at that point. He, he's like, well, let's build this temple to Baal and Jezebel and him consecrate priests to Baal. That's not good as Israel's king and the king of God's people who worship Yahweh, the Lord. And Elijah trusts God. Just before this, there's a moment in, in, in uh, 1 Kings 18 where there's kind of like a showdown where Elijah trusts the Lord to show Ahab and Jezebel and these priests of Baal who God is and who he is and his power and his might and his strength and his validity and his truth and his holiness. And something incredible happens where they discover who God is. It's a great, amazing story, amazing moment. And uh, I'll let you read it at home, First, First Kings 18. But that creates this conflict between Elijah and Ahab. And now Elijah feels like he's in a crisis. And he's in a moment where he's grasping for straws. What am I grabbing from to do next? And I want to read the story with us. Uh, it's First um, Kings 19. So let's read this. Because I'm a year older, I'm taking off my glasses. Um, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, this is the angry wife here, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that, like one of them. She's pretty serious. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He's pretty distraught. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, he says the same thing. I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord says to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram, and also Jehu, son of Nimri, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as the prophet. Verse 18, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God, as we um, live into this story for a moment, we invite you to speak to us, lead us, guide us. It's our heartbeat, God, even before we walk through this, to live out of a deeper place. And may what happens in the next few moments, God, not my words, but what your Holy Spirit wants to do in me and us, together. Uh, be part of that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's, here's this, this dilemma that Elijah's in, and the chaos he's in, the confusion he's in, and it's, it leads him to this path, whether he realizes it all the time as he's moving towards it, this path towards uh, uh, his need, really, Elijah's need to find God's voice in the middle of this chaos, to find God's direction in the middle of this confusion, to find a, a deeper place where he can live out of. And I just want to walk through the story, but in, in a different way, because I want you to consider something. He is afraid. He's living under this threat. This crazy woman, Jezebel, wants to kill him. She is upset. She's jealous. She's mad. She's angry because of what happened. She's been distraught because she's been shown up for what she's been doing. And this unveils Elijah's heart. He actually demonstrates a lack of confidence in what just happened, a lack of confidence in himself, a lack of confidence in God. And he's questioning God during the crisis. He's like, God, really, this is crazy. Why? Why is this happening? You might as well just kill me now. Let's just stop everything. I don't want to do anything else. So he is afraid and he's running under this threat. And that's what he does. He runs. He flees. He, in the, the first part of his journey, he has no idea where he's going. He's just running. Have that ever happened to you? Something happens and you just run? You don't know what to do? It's crazy. 
I have a, such an embarrassing story. We were in Washington, D.C. one day, and I was in a, the metro system with my wife and kids. My kids were only, I don't know, five and eight or something, or four and seven, and, and we were in this new city, never been in Washington, and there's this emergency breaks out in the, in the metro system, and I just run out of the metro. I'm like, oh my God, my kids are still there. And that was the moment, like, you're such a bad dad. Like, and because it was, I had, I don't know, I just had this weird fear. I'm like, okay, it's over. Let me run every man for themselves. That was really bad. It, it took, like, give me 60 seconds. I turned around. Everything went okay. But you ever, in that, a moment like that, you just run, but you're not, you don't know where you're running. You're just running. You're just going because you're getting away from something. That's a little bit of Elijah in this first part of his journey. But God interjects in his escape, in his fleeing, in his running. Elijah stops, he's tired, and he rests under a broom tree. God doesn't speak to him per se there, but he sends an angel, and he sustains him. Eat, get up, rest, there's a journey ahead. And interestingly enough, and we'll look at this in a moment, that little moment actually shifts Elijah's direction. From running, not knowing where he's going, his destination shifts, and now he chooses to go to Horeb, we understand. He, he's in, in, his escape is running away from God and from the situation. And this little moment under the broom tree, and we'll talk about it in a bit, he's actually now turns. He, he runs to God. How do we know that? Well, Horeb was a place known, a symbol of experiencing God. He would have known in his, the story of Israel, the story of Moses, that Moses first heard God's call on his life to, to go back and be part of the rescue mission for Israel under Egypt's rule. It's in Horeb that Moses sees the burning bush, that Moses turns to the burning bush and pays attention and hears God's voice and this new call on his life. And so Elijah, after the broom tree, gets up and doesn't just run, but now he actually goes to Horeb because he wants to experience God. He wants to hear God. And in Horeb, he spends the night in a cave, and he has this Q&A with God. Still no direction. God says, what's up, Elijah? And Elijah just complains. This is horrible. This is crazy. It's nuts. I have no idea what's happening. And in this cave, he hears this huge wind that shatters, you know how it's described, shatters the mountains around them in a sense. This huge wind, this huge, incredible earthquake, and this fire. And from the story, we understand specifically God is not in the wind. God is not in the earthquake. God is not in the fire. In fact, the text doesn't even say that God's in the whisper, but there's something unique about the whisper. Because God has sometimes used big things like that to speak. But in this moment, something different is happening. And it's in this whisper that Elijah pays attention. In fact, the word whisper in Hebrew could be translated sheer silence. Have you ever heard sheer silence? Maybe not, but there's something about it. If you really catch it, that grabs your attention that draws you in. And Elijah does something incredible that you and I have probably done in similar circumstances. Elijah wraps his face around his cloak. And, and is that your jacket, Christina? Can I just grab it? Just throw it to me or something? So have you ever had like, yeah, I always, sorry, I didn't mean to confuse it right. So have you ever, like, I know this is like a nice, well, this is a nice jacket, Chris. So, so let's say it's like this, and he has this cloak. Well, as he hears the silence, the sheer silence, looks good on me, eh? Don't take a picture and post it, please. So he, he wraps his head around it, 
because, and he kind of like, have you ever done this? You're like, I got to get the noise out. I got to get the noise out. I just want to hear my breath. I just, have you ever, have you ever done that? No? Okay. So we'll just leave this as a reminder here for the cloak. Um, but it's kind of like when you cup your ears and you're like, I don't want to hear anything around me. I just, I want to hear the most subtlest, quietest, anything that's not noise. Zero distraction. And that's kind of what Elijah does. And we understand that God speaks out of that moment, that God gives direction. He says, go back, anoint this person. Go back, anoint this person. Go back. There's going to be someone who will eventually succeed you as prophet. I don't want to, it's not as important what God says to him, but that in that moment, he recognized God's voice. And so here's Elijah, he's escaping his fears, he's escaping the confusion, yet he's paralyzed in thought, and God brings Elijah to a place, to a moment, where he can gain perspective and direction, and it's actually away from the noise. It's not in the wind, it's not in the earthquake, it's not in the fire. And if you read 1 Kings 18, God did some big things, and it was noisy in the chapter before. But in this moment, God brings Elijah to a place where he can gain perspective and direction. And it's in this kind of place. It's in silence and solitude. Or solitude and silence. Alone. And very, very quiet. It's as though God orchestrated that Elijah would arrive to a place of solitude and silence. Because if he would not get to this place, he would. it's like the fridge is going to be empty. The fridge is empty, Elijah. There's nothing for you to grab. You need this place. You need this moment. You need this solitude and silence. And you're going to discover something deeper, a deeper well that you can draw from, a deeper well where you'll be guided, a deeper well where you'll hear my voice. And this became, this solitude and silence became this deep well that he could draw from, a deep well where he could hear God and experience God and move forward. But here's the thing. We're going to talk about that, the silence in a second, but his journey towards the silence involved this broom tree, remember? Talked about that? So the broom tree is one piece of this. It it kind of seems like it starts at the broom tree for him to get to the moment of solitude and silence, right? He's running, he takes a break, and broom trees uh, that maybe Elijah would have found at that time grow really well in the Middle East or Africa or Sicily. Not all things Sicilians are related to the mob or the mafia, but, but this, this, this broom tree was something very common in that area. It was short, and it was wide. So it's very possible that he could have, as an example, the leaves were the kind of thick leaves you might see on a, on a tree or a bush, that when they fall, they kind of create a, like a bed. So it was very easy for him to lay down, feel comfortable on the bed of leaves. And because it's a short and wide tree, he was kind of like the sun, was, there was shade from the sun. And some people say that this tree blooms like a couple of times a year and this beautiful white, white buds that come out. So I can imagine Elijah probably just stops, lays down on this kind of almost a mattress of, of leaves in a sense. And it's short, so he's looking up and maybe it's budding time, who knows. But he, it says that he's, he rested. He rested under the broom tree. Elijah finds refuge there. And isn't it interesting, God doesn't speak to Elijah there. God doesn't tell him what's next, but he does get Elijah healthy. He says, Elijah, rest. You need rest. You need nourishment. Get up and eat this food. 
Twice, the angel says, eat this food. There's a journey ahead of you. It's like God interjects Elijah's desperate escape to get him healthy, to give him some energy. I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes when I want to grow spiritually, one of the things that I, that I fight most of the time is fatigue. Have you ever fallen asleep sleeping? Have you ever fallen asleep reading your Bible? You ever fall, I, I'm, am I the only one here? Am I the only non-spiritual one? Is that the case? I mean, come on, seriously, that happens, right? How often do you want to do something so meaningful, but one of the things that you actually is you fall asleep because you're so tired. And it seems like in this moment, you know, we, we want to grow, we want to do stuff, we want to hear God, but sometimes it seems like health is almost the first step. And it, it's strange in this story God doesn't speak to me, sends an angel just to say, would you rest? Would you eat this food? Because you have a journey ahead of you. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be rested. I want you to be awake. Sometimes health is the first step. Rest and energy and nourishment and capacity. And isn't it incredible that after Elijah rested and after he ate, are we told that he goes to Horeb? Before he's running frantically. But when he rests, when he eats, all of a sudden, maybe he's just in a better frame of mind to actually get a sense of where God's tell, what the direction God's telling him to go in. How often have we just misread God because we were tired? Misread God because there was just so much going on in our lives. And so it seems as almost he had better discernment. First it was like, I need to run away from God. But after rest, he recognizes, no, what, what am I doing? I need to run to God. I need to run to Horeb. I need to get there. I need to make the journey there. I think most of us would have more success spending time with God if we just took a nap, if we just went to bed earlier, if we just ate cucumbers instead of chips. And I love chips. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if we just turned off our phones. I, th I think so. I mean, I, I feel better when I go to bed at 10.30 than when I do at 11.45 or 12, right? Most of us before we even get to this deeper well stuff, would just do well to see what God did for Elijah because our physiological self is connected to our spiritual self. We're one and, we're one and the same. And it's amazing how Elijah's direction changes, his discernment changes slightly when he rests. But then here's this next part of how he gets to silence. He's breaking through the dis distraction. In the cave, right? When he's in the cave, he hears the wind. And it's just enormous how it's described. And when he's in the cave, he, he, get, he feels the earthquake. And it's enormous. And when he's in the cave, he, he hears the fire. And because God was in none of them, they were all noise. Because God was not in, it was not in the wind and not, not in the fire, not in the earthquake. They're all noise. They were all distractions. And maybe Elijah got used to the noise and got used to the distractions. Have you ever gotten used to the noise and used to the distractions? You don't even know what it feels like to live without distractions. You don't even know what it feels like to live in a lighter schedule. You don't even know what it feels like to live with margin. You don't even know what it feels like to wake up in the morning with eight hours of sleep. Maybe he just got used to the noise and he had to break through the noise. Wait, get through the wind, get through the earthquake, get through the fire. Noise prevents us from living out of a deeper place. Now, that was wind and earthquake and fire for Elijah. And maybe you're like saying, Dave, I mean, I never hear an earthquake on Monday morning. You know, that's not the noise. No, but maybe, maybe, maybe you're too busy. 
Maybe you're in a toxic relationship. Maybe you have an exorbitant entertainment cycle in your life. Maybe you, you track the news cycles um, like your CNN and uh, that's, that's all that fills your head. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's unhealthy ambition. This noise that you need to break through to get to a place where God wants to work with you. So let me just ask you the question. What noise is filling your life right now? What noise is filling your life right now? Maybe it's, it's even a false lie, a false identity. What noise is filling your life right now? What distraction is distracting you from your real purpose, from your real self, from a clear path, from a healthy relationship? What's distracting you from nurturing your relationship with God, from hearing God's voice? What is it? I'm sure there's some noise that we need to break through, that we need to get past. Now, you need to ask, what can I do to get past that noise, to cut out that noise, to get past those distractions. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's saying no to the news cycle. Maybe it's taking CNN or CBC or whatever off your phones. Maybe it's leaving your phone at the door like many of us should. Maybe it's choosing like no distraction first thing in the morning. Maybe it's saying when I'm tired, I don't, you know what, I'll escape with one episode of my favorite season, but I won't plow through half a season tonight. Maybe, maybe that's what it means to say no to the noise. Maybe it means one less thing on your calendar. I'm going to remove this from my calendar. This is, this, this is a distraction. And I think Elijah teaches us in the crucible of this moment because he was desperate. It was urgent for him. Some of us don't realize how urgent it is for us, but it was urgent for him. It's probably urgent for us too, and we're just consumed by the noise. And Elijah teaches us to push through the noise, to get to a place where God can speak. And it's in this beautiful moment where Elijah welcomes silence. When Elijah hears the sheer silence, something turns in him. He pays attention. When he notices the sheer silence, he wraps his face in this cloak, almost like, okay, I'm going to take every distraction away from me right now. I have a sense this is the deep place where God wants to speak to me. It's a beautiful, almost, exercise. We won't be selling cloaks at the end on our website. But, but isn't there, is there something that we can do physically to welcome the silence in our lives? Jesus modeled this. Don't think this is just Elijah Old Testament stuff. Jesus went alone, went to be alone very often. Jesus um, often got up early and went to a solitary place, the Gospels tell us. Jesus invited his disciples into a quiet place. Jesus found the mountainside and the garden and other spots where he could, he could practice solitude and silence. And as he welcomed the silence, he reached into this deep well. He, he was able to pay attention to what God was doing. He was able to discern his mission and his purpose. He was able to affirm his identity and understand who he was. This solitude and silence, some of us think of this maybe as this, well, this is just some strange thing that, you know, uh, that's not really Christian. But it's, it's actually just, well, we see it in the scriptures, which is amazing amazing but it's it's closing yourself away it's closing yourself away from the noise from whatever hinders our growth in christ it's being still before god so god can speak so god can clear the path it's not just to be one with yourself it's to be present with the lord 
to free us from whatever is hindering our growth. And Dallas Willard says, solitude and silence is one of the most radical of the spiritual practices because some of us are afraid of it. In fact, he, he, he says we need psychic distance, mental distance from the perspectives that trap us, that fear us, that worry us. How do you get away from that if not to get away from the noise? I was thinking about it this way. The visible world, and you can read this off the screen, the visible world often gets our attention or screams at us, but the spiritual often whispers at us. The visible world often screams at us. So it's easy to pay attention sometimes, but the spiritual often whispers at us. Ruth Barton says these words. I love it. She says, when a great moment knocks at the door of your life, it is often no louder than the beating of your heart, and it is very easy to miss. Often no louder than the beating of your heart and very easy to miss. When, the, when Matthew writes in his gospel, he quotes Isaiah's prophetic words about Jesus. He tells us some incredible things about the servant of the Lord. And he says this line in Matthew 12, 19 about Jesus or the, or the Messiah, that no one will hear his voice in the streets. You know, the streets are loud and yet Jesus is speaking. Yet Jesus is getting some people's attention. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Maybe we got to cut through the distractions and the noise to be able to hear the voice of Jesus. Isaiah says in Isaiah 30, in quietness and trust is your salvation. There's something to this. That we must practice solitude and silence to make room for the whisper. As Elijah took the cloak and wrapped it around his head, cupped his ears in a sense so he would be ready to pay attention to God. You know, we've walked through what, eight or nine weeks of prayer, teaching on prayer in the end of 2020, and it almost feels like we almost just touched the surface. And I think many of us are probably inspired to grow in prayer this year, to make some steps in prayer. And yet, some of us feel like the fridge is empty. We don't, we don't know where to start. We don't know, should I just talk a lot? Should I just ask God for things? We're going to talk about the scriptures next week and how the Spirit works in the coming week. But just for today, maybe your first step is, is learning to practice solitude and silence, to make space, to make room for the whispers of God in your life. Ruth Barton also says this, it's more important to cultivate the quiet inner space of a constant listening than to always be approaching God for a specific direction. I'm sure there's things you're asking God for, you're praying for, and it's so important to do that. Part of prayer is asking, talking, requesting, bringing this. But I love what she says here because sometimes it's more important to cultivate the quiet inner space of listening before we just approach God with requests. Give me this and do this and this is what I'm going through. And so as we wrap this up today, I want to I just wrap it up in a simple way. I want to invite us that... I'm sure you have tons of goals and, or maybe a few for this year, but wouldn't it be amazing if we just started here, if we say we would become a people in 2020 that would be more attentive to the voice of the Lord in our lives and that we start with this, how do we grow in this posture of solitude and silence? One of the hardest things when, we, when many people at Westside did um, emotionally healthy spirituality or, or relationships was the silence part. It's like how to go with silence this week. Oh my gosh, it was really hard. And uh, I, I could get into the scripture right away, but that two minutes of nothing just killed me. You know, it's like, but then, you know, some people slowly started, oh, there was something to it. 
I started to get the hang of it, and I realized the beauty of it, the importance of it, even before I get to the scriptures. So what I want us to do just starting today is just to really commit ourselves to how can I grow in solitude and silence so I can, I can cut the noise, cut the distractions out, cut all the junk that tries to get our attention, that screams at us from the visible world so, the, so God's voice can whisper to us. And here's, here's one last quote before I kind of give us some, something to practice. Frederick Myers, an old writer, an old book, says this, Be still each day for a short time, sitting before the Lord in meditation, and ask the Holy Spirit to, re- to reveal to you the truth of Christ's indwelling. Ask God to be pleased to make known to you the riches of the glory of his mystery. Wouldn't that be amazing? That every day we slowed down and this became our first prayer as we, still, we become still before the Lord, sitting before God in meditation, and we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of Christ's indwelling in us. Paul says, right, in, in Ephesians 3, I pray out of his glorious riches that, you would, that your inner being would be strengthened with power so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That should be our first prayer. That should be my first prayer. And that the Holy Spirit would reveal that and that God would be pleased to make known the riches of his glory, of his mystery to me. So I want to I just close by, by practicing this. I know sometimes we close with a bang. Today we're going to close with sheer silence. How's that? We're going to just close with sheer silence. And here's, here's one, one short uh, line in the Psalms that, is, that has really challenged me in doing this. It's Psalm 131, verse 2. And this is what the psalm writer says. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Look at that first line. That first line is not asking God to quiet himself. That, that first line is not, is, it, it's so intentional. I have calmed and quieted myself. Some versions say, I've quieted my, sto- my soul. I've stilled my soul. Isn't that amazing? I have calmed and quieted myself. So, so here's the thing. It's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to practice this, to quiet our souls before the Lord, to quiet our minds before the Lord. So we're going to just take a minute as we close our gathering today before I pray. And if you really, you might need to do this. You might need to literally just bow your heads and and cup your ears like that cloak and just say, I'm going to be so quiet before the Lord. I want, to, I want to hear and experience even my breathing. And as you breathe in, you're just saying, Jesus, fill me. Fill me. And as you breathe out, you're saying, Jesus, free me from the distractions. One of the phrases that I also like to say when I, when I try and practice silence is just, Lord, still my soul. But what am I doing? I'm practicing this psalm. I am calming and quieting myself before the Lord so I can be still before him. So why don't we practice this just for a minute? It's just literally, if you feel comfortable, just kind of, if you feel you need to do this, it's a great way just to kind of intentionally, but you don't, it's not a prerequisite, but it's just something we can do to just quiet our souls before God.
to be silent before him. Just be really calm with, even with our breathing. Lord, we are quieting our souls before you so we can be content in your presence. Like a weaned child, God, we long to be content in you. And for many of us who struggle, even with this brief moment of silence, Lord, we ask you, Lord, would you still our hearts? Would you still our minds? Would we be still before you? So I'm going to invite us this month to begin practicing this. Maybe start with a minute, grow it to two, keep growing it, 10, 15, 20 minutes. You'd be so surprised how that makes space for God to work and speak as we still our hearts before him before we read scripture or before we even pray or before we do anything. Yeah, so that's my challenge, that we would grow this time to a significant time where we can be quiet before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful. Even in the story of Elijah, you show us that, yes, there, are, there can be times where, definitely there are times where you speak in the loud voice. You can even break through the chaos. We've seen it, we've experienced it, we read it in Scripture. And yet in this scene, God, we, just, we see how you orchestrated Elijah's path and, and, uh, and his response, his discernment to run to Horeb, to be present to your presence, God. To also discern that your voice wasn't in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, but in the moment of sheer silence, he started to pay attention to you. We thank you for the example of Jesus who went off to solitary places took time to be quiet and made room for your voice in his life. And God, we long, as, as we just prayed, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the indwelling presence of Jesus, that you would strengthen our inner being, Lord. This is part of the reason we even practice this, that you would strengthen our inner being with your power, so Jesus may dwell in our hearts through faith. 
but we recognize, God, the noise in our life. So whatever that is right now, we turn it over to you. God, whether it is our busyness, our schedules, whether it's our worries or our fears, whether it's social media or the news cycle, whether it's, it's uh, you know, uh, over, overly uh, consumed with entertainment, whether it's a toxic relationship, whether it's a false identity, a false lie that we have allowed Satan to plant in our lives and we believe, God, whatever that noise is, Lord, our longing in this is to cut out the noise to be present to you because we long to live and pray and work and move forward out of a deeper well. So we pray, God, as we move forward with this, this practice is not your Holy Spirit, but this practice we trust will help us make room for the work of your Holy Spirit in us. And that's what we long for. And so we commit our lives and even the beginning of this year and all the things you're brewing in our hearts, you're, you're working in our hearts with God, we, lo- we want to be the kind of people that are ready for them. So may this be a practice that makes space for that as Jesus becomes Um, continually Lord of our lives, our saving King. In your name we pray, amen.